Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the podcast, The Leaves for a Victim Nevermore with Stephen Wilson. I am Stephen Wilson, and this podcast is specifically for people who identify as victims of addiction or abuse. I am a drug user, and I am a survivor of childhood sex abuse. Today, I am going to be reading two works. The first one is George Orwell, 1984. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. Winston Smith, his chin nuzzled into his breast in an effort to escape the vile wind, slipped quickly through the glass doors of Victory Mansions, though not quickly enough to prevent a swirl of gritty dust from entering along with him. The hallway smelt of boiled cabbage and old rug rag mats. At one end of it is a colored poster, too large for indoor display. It had been tacked to the wall. It depicted simply an enormous face, more than a meter wide, the face of a man about 45, with a heavy black mustache and ruggedly handsome features. Winston Smith made for the stairs. It was no use trying the lift. Even at the best of times, it was seldom working, and at present the electric current was cut off during the daylight hours. It was part of the economy drive in preparation for hate week. The flat was 17 flights up, and Winston, who was 39 and had a varicose ulcer above his right ankle, went slowly, resting several times on the way. On each landing, opposite the lift shaft, the poster with enormous face had gazed from the wall. It was one of those pictures which are so contrived that the eyes follow you about when you move. Brig Butler is watching you. The caption beneath it ran. That was the beginning of 1984. And it was written by George Orwell. Well, my dear friends, this week coming up this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. And although I don't think it was meant to be the focus of our group discussion, basically everybody eventually wound up talking about their plans for the weekend. And the thing is, is that here in America, as usual, Americans don't fundamentally understand what they're doing. They don't know what's going on. And that carries over into holidays. Here in America, Memorial Day weekend begins the summer as Labor Day ends the summer. Around the country, public pools are going to be opening up. Parks are going to be opening up. Even with the inflation and the gas prices, people are still going to be fueling up and hitting the road. As usual, the American doesn't understand what the weekend is supposed to be doing. Because I don't think any American fundamentally 
whatever, well, unless you're a psychopath, I don't think that anybody would actually celebrate the way that we do if they understood. And here I am going to explain to you the way that I did the members of the group what exactly Memorial Day weekend is for, the origins of it, where did it come from. Now I know you can look this up online, but I'm going to do it anyway. Memorial Day started with LBJ back in the mid to late 60s. And its main purpose was to celebrate all of the people that had been in the military that had died in combat. Now, it doesn't matter if you agree with war. It doesn't matter if you agree with that particular conflict that they died in. It doesn't matter. We are to celebrate the dead. And again, in America, we are to celebrate Americans going to war. Now, if I sound a little bit cynical, that was also noted by a few members of the group, maybe I am. But I have to tell you that I am a bit tired of it. Because everybody's out barbecuing and, you know, people are going to concerts and people are celebrating the beginning of summer. It doesn't matter where you live. So far, there are people all over the world listening to this podcast, which I'm not really sure if I think is a good idea or not. But for those of you that are not from America, here in America, we do celebrate going to war. Doesn't matter how old you are. As an American, you can't go but five years without finding some sort of conflict. Americans, since the Civil War, have decided to get in other people's business. American diplomacy, foreign policy, what we do for democracy. And for the people that have given up the ultimate, they've given up their life. They went into uniform for whatever reason, but they decided to take one for the team, Team America. And here recently, since World War II, we have either been fighting a philosophy or we have been fighting for profits, maybe both. But it is important for you as it was important for the members of the group that you need to understand what this weekend is about. This coming week, or this coming weekend, rather, it is about celebrating going to war and the people that have given up the most, the people that have died in combat. So you try to remember that. And I'm not saying that you will. It's not going to keep you from opening up your pool. It's not going to keep you from barbecuing. Maybe you might say grace or there might be a prayer, but you're still going to get drunk and you're still going to laugh and play music and, and you're going to celebrate death. You're going to celebrate war. All under the guise of calling it the beginning of summer, Memorial Day weekend. And you're welcome for that. Now, why is it exactly that I have become a little bit cynical? 
Well, maybe not a little bit, and I don't think it's something new. But I have to tell you that my own form of asshole-itis, it does, or rather it is coming into play more and more as I spend more time with the members of group. And again, for those of you that are just joining us for the first time, I'm talking about the group therapy that I am involved in for, now the group is, uh, it's all men, and every one of us was sexually abused as children. Theoretically, we're called a survivor's group and there is a moderator. Sometimes we have topics, sometimes it's just open bar. But the thing is, is that, again, it is a crime to forget. You see, I wasn't around for the Korean War, but my father was in it. And he was over there for a year and a half, and he did a lot of horrible things. He killed a lot of people. And it really wasn't until he was dying that he and I started having conversations that meant something. And he did start talking about what he did in Korea. There at the end, the Koreans, they were so desperate. They were coming after his men. My father lost half his men in the final five weeks of the Korean War. He was supposed to hold a line on a map, but the the North Koreans missed the memo and they were starving and they were freezing and they just wanted relief. And I always wondered what that would be like. Going to war, killing somebody, I think it changes you. One of my aunts on, well, one of his sisters told me that my dad, he changed forever when he came back. He wasn't the same guy. He was mean. He wasn't like that before. But there was almost a total void of empathy. Maybe it's true that war changes you forever. Maybe you can't come back, I don't know. But my dad spent well over 30 years in a can of beer trying to forget what he had done. And I found it hard to believe that he was telling me this. I mean, I know he was at the end of his life. He wouldn't have done anything. He can't go over to North Korea and apologize to the family members of those that survived. Those poor idiots, they're living under that asshole, so they have their own problems. But this week, leading up to Memorial Day weekend, as fewer and fewer Korean war veterans are around, They now move into Vietnam. There are a few moments when people talk about Korea. And there are a few moments when people talk about Vietnam. For many, Korea was a tie. Vietnam was a total loss. But they have no problem jumping over and going into Desert Storm, talking about a total victory. Not to mention the fact that the enemy wasn't worth fighting. 
But the issue at hand is that my dad tried to forget. Obviously, he lived. He survived. He did get injured, but he survived. And this weekend, we are supposed to celebrate those that died in conflict, in war, in uniform. They died for this country. They died for the state. This weekend, we're not supposed to talk about politics. But indirectly, we have to talk about the donkey and the elephant, the things that we do for God and country. My father's men, they remained intact all the way up until the very end. And I don't know how to feel about that. But the thing is, I know how my father felt, and my father felt that he got duped. Because when he came back, and almost in through the entire 50s, my father had been told that it was not a war, it was a conflict. I don't know what the language game is supposed to be. I don't know the difference between war and conflict. But the politicians back then, they made it clear that he did not engage North Korea in a war. It was a conflict. And my father always took that personally because those were his men and half of them didn't come back. And when he did make it back, he did try to remain in contact with those men and their families. But over the years, they just kind of slipped away one by one until there at the end, there was just one guy remaining and he lived out in the Southwest. But here in America, and I still think about this, is that my dad purposely tried to forget what he did. But the body politic is trying to tell us that we need to remember those people that had gone into war. But we do not understand that a soldier's pain belongs to a soldier, and if they feel as if something is worth forgetting, then it needs to be forgotten. I'm not trying to say that I'm a soldier. But it was inevitable that there would be a correlation because many of the guys in the group, they believe that they have been through their own kind of personal war, their own kind of personal hell, and trying to survive. Because it is only the outsider, it is only the, the passerby, it is only the viewer that looks at us and say, well, congratulations, you survived another day. You're above ground. But the thing is, is that when we analyze ourselves, we try to manicure our past. We don't want to openly admit the things that we've done. Since my breakdown early in 2021, I've been in therapy and I've had to deal with 
what I've done and deal with the causation and deal with the consequence and it has been very difficult. And sometimes I just wanted to give up and maybe one day I will. Enough is enough. But if a soldier does something and they do it to the point where they want to forget what they've done, then you shouldn't hold them to a different metric. That's not fair. And it's not important that we talk about fairness because everybody here knows that the world is not fair, life is not fair. I mean, if that were the case, my sister would still be alive. The teacher would have never touched me. But I'm telling you in full throat that I spent my entire adult life trying to forget what happened. It isn't our past, it's my past, and I don't want to remember. But in order to get rid of it, in order to deal with it, I have to engage. So I bring back that teacher all over again. I go back to North Junior High. I go down the steps. I pass the gymnasium on the right, and I go into the locker room every single day. I don't want to remember. That was, that was what the shrooms were for, the cocaine, the LSD, to make it go away. I don't want to remember. I don't want to be remembered. That's the bitch of it. I don't want to be remembered. I know many of you have pointed out that my art and the things that I've published in literature, they might survive a couple years after I'm gone. But I guess I should be grateful that I'm in, in America because you don't care about poetry, you don't care about art. And if you haven't suffered from addiction or you haven't dealt with abuse in your life, I don't know what you're doing, you're listening to this. But I don't want to be remembered for anything because I know I've hurt so many people. I want them to forget. And I'm not really sure what kind of value there is in trying to say that these conflicts were worthwhile because people died. Here again, as an American, we are breaking down another two or three shootings in the past week and a half. People are talking about gun control. People are talking about education paradigms. All of a sudden, nobody's talking about COVID. Nobody's talking about inflation. Everybody's talking about access to ammunition. Everybody's talking about the parents, like they did at Sandy Hook, like they did at Columbine. What would make a kid go that way? What makes a human go that, down that path?
the gunman is trying to communicate. And they have chosen a language that brings out the worst in us. The news reports, the magazine articles, they will not mention the shooter, and I will not either. It's not because they're going to forget what happened. It's because they do not want to give the shooter any kind of notoriety. Serial killers, we know their middle name. These shooters, we don't know anything about them. Not anymore. They disappear like a fart in a wind tunnel. Because that's what we want to do. This coming weekend, we are supposed to remember those that died in combat. But what about those 21 people in that elementary school? 19 children, two adults. They're not asleep, they're not sick, they're dead. You will not know them. Well, you will, but only in a eulogy. Maybe we should all be so lucky. I have done many things that I will not speak of. I will not apologize for them because an apology doesn't do any good. I want to be forgotten because I want to forget. close this show out I have decided to go into academia a book that I read as I entered doctoral the book is called Asylums it is published by it was written by Irving Goffman one of the forefathers of sociology and group dynamic I'll be reading from the section, Characteristics of a Total Institution. Hence to the acts of the conflicts, whether directly or by inversion or any other symbolical forms, emphasizes the social cohesion within which a conflict exists. To act out one's rebellion before the authorities at a time when this is legitimate is to exchange conspiracy for expression. But a simple functionalist, analyst, or institutional rituals is not wholly convincing, except in the effect that apparently results occasionally from group therapy. In many cases, it is a nice question whether these roles release create any staff inmate solidarity at all. Staff typically complain to each other of their boredom with these ceremonies and their obligation to participate because of their own noblesse oblige, or worse still, because of their superiors. Inmates often participate because wherever the ceremony is held, they will be more comfortable and less restricted there than where they were otherwise would be. 
Further, inmates sometimes participate to gain the eye of staff and to earn an early release. A total institution perhaps needs collective ceremonies because it is something more than a formal organization. But its ceremonies are often pious and flat, perhaps because it is something less than a community. Whatever a ceremony offers the members of a total institution, it offers something appreciable to students of these organizations in temporarily modifying the usual relation between staff and inmate ceremony demonstrates that the difference in character between the two groupings is not inevitable and unalterable. However flat and however functional ceremony does mark a putting aside and even a reversal of the usual social drama and so reminds us that what was put aside has a dramaturgical, not a material character. Interests collective teasing of staff and personal involvement that cross the staff inmate line are all similarly suggest a social reality reality in a total institution is precarious. I think we should not be surprised by these weaknesses in the staging of grim social distance, but rather wonder that more flaws do not appear. I took that from Asylums written by Irving Goffman one of the great leaders of sociology in the 20th century. It's as relevant now as it was when it was first published. I'd like you to keep that in mind as you celebrate this coming weekend. Why you celebrate. Why you got the day off work. You have been listening to the Leaves of a Victim Nevermore with Stephen Wilson. I am Stephen Wilson, and may you be a blessing, and may you find serenity. <laughs>